If you would, take your Bible and turn to the book of Romans. We're going to look at uh, two passages. Um, Let's look at Romans chapter 12, and hold your finger there. I'll let you go to both passages before you read them. Romans chapter 12, and also Titus chapter number 1. Romans 12, and Titus chapter 1. Romans 12 and Titus chapter 1. We're just going to read uh, basically one verse in each one of these chapters. Let's pray together, and then we'll, we'll read from Romans chapter 12. Let's pray. Lord in heaven, thank you for your word, and uh, especially for how detailed and uh, specific your word is to give us instruction, to help us to know your will, and to know how better to serve you and Lord, we know that even though you give us commands so that we can uh, serve you, we can serve others, yet we know those commands have a reciprocal advantage to us, that they benefit us as the people, uh, as the ones who are trying to, to follow your commands. And uh, thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for your kind care of us. Lord, let us follow your example. Even as we study these things here, would you meet with us and teach us and uh, work in our hearts and help us to know better how to live for you? Uh, Lord, you know that we need your help, and uh, as we study, Lord, give us open hearts and give me wisdom to help your people, and I pray especially that your Spirit would, uh, would speak to people. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans chapter 12 and verse number 13, this is a, a verse that's uh, one of these lists uh, that often appears at the end of uh, various epistles. And uh, these lists, and it's kind of like machine gun commands, if you can put it like that, where it's just uh, rapid-fire commands. Uh, and in verse number 13, two of those commands are given, and it says, distributing to the necessity of saints. And the one I want to pay attention to is the second one, which is given to hospitality. And then flip over to Titus chapter 1, if you would. And as we look at Titus 1, it's the section that deals with the qualifications for, uh, for the bishop or for the elder. And then it says in verse number 8, which is an, is, is an interesting qualification normally, and, and we'll look at another passage that deals with this, but um, it is interesting that the things that are mentioned in these qualifications for bishops, it's not just things like they can preach and they know the Bible, and they're nice, and they're a good administrator or whatever, you know. It's not just things that you would normally look for if you were to, if you were to develop kind of your own practical, uh, you know, list of prerequisites for a, a pastor or a bishop. It's a lot of other things, and I think the other things that are there, uh, for instance, one of them that stands out to me, and I honestly don't remember if it's here. It is in, it is in our verse. It's in verse number 8. It says, a lover of good men. You know, and you, you think about that, that's such kind of a random thing to, re, to require of a pastor. You know, who he, who he is close to, who he fellowships with, what are his friends like? Well, that tells you something about him. But that's given as one of the requirements. 
But another one of the that we want to look at tonight, another one of these requirements goes to our subject that I want to cover tonight. In verse 8, it says, but a, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of hospitality. So a pastor, a bishop, one of the requirements is that he is a lover of hospitality. So I'd like to study with you just uh, uh, for a little while about the, the doctrine or the, the teaching about hospitality in the Bible. This is not, I, I don't know I've ever heard anybody teach on this, uh, on this subject, but I think it's an important subject. We actually, the reason it's, it's in my mind is because our family, when we do our Bible time, We've been going, going through the book of Romans, and we recently went through Romans chapter 12, and we came across that verse about hospitality. And as I was explaining it to my kids and what that meant, uh, a lot of things kind of flooded my mind. I thought, wow, there's a lot more to this than, than appears at, you know, at first glance. So let's look at the, the idea of hospitality. We think of hospitality, at least I think of hospitality as essentially, you know, maybe you invite some over, somebody over for dinner or something like that. But there's a lot more to hospitality than just that kind of, that kind of thing. And uh, in fact, I would say that there's, there's, hospitality is more profound uh, of an idea than maybe, maybe we have of it. In other words, we have something that is essentially very kind of superficial, you know, it's the, it's the nice face and warm, inviting atmosphere that you provide someone that maybe comes over to your house for maybe Thanksgiving or Christmas uh, a dinner or some special occasion. You know, you provide them with, in fact, it's kind of almost the opposite of what biblical hospitality includes because it's almost like we put up kind of a front of the presentation. You know, it's all about presentation. Now, our family's no different. I mean, when we have guests over, we pull out the dishes and that kind of stuff. And, and that's, all, that's all part of it, but there's more to it than that. And uh, so let's look at a few, just a definition to kind of get started. And then I want to bring up, uh, basically, I want to point out three main things that are included, three aspects or main points to consider on the subject of hospitality. And it might surprise you what, what kinds of things are included. But as far as the definition, here's the dictionary definition. Hospitality or hospital, it means the reception and entertain, entertainment of guests, visitors, or strangers with liberality and goodwill. Okay? Another definition says offering and affording welcome and entertainment to strangers, extending a generous hospitality. There, they broke the rule. What's the rule? They used the word in the definition. You can't do that. But they did it. All right. I, I figure if Oxford can do it, then it's probably allowed. Extended a gen, extending a generous hospitality to guests and visitors. So you think about our church, and, uh, and I, I've heard people say that our church is friendly and, and inviting and warm, and that's something that we should, we should work on. You know, so I've heard of some pastors and churches that, that they actually they go the extra mile, and, they'll, and I've heard them say that if, if a visitor comes in and the visitor is sitting by themselves or the visitor has not been greeted, they call that like, you know, that's a, uh, what word did they use? It was something like that's an emergency situation. In other words, they want to they work on it so hard that, that they want to make sure that, uh, that if someone comes in, they don't feel out of place, they feel warm and friendly and inviting. And, of course, we can, you can go a little overboard with that, you know, 
Some people just want to kind of, you know, kind of feel it out and they don't want people in their face, you know, uh, immediately. But the idea of being warm and friendly and inviting to people. So what's interesting is the word that's translated hospitality in the Bible is interesting because it is a word that is a combination of two words, which means a lover of strangers, a lover of strangers. That's what the word, and of course, that fits perfectly with our our definition here. So there are three main things we want to look at when we look at hospitality. We'll look at some verses that deal with this um, when we uh, consider this subject of hospitality. That is welcoming and entertaining guests, visitors, and strangers with liberality and goodwill. Okay, the first thing we want to look at is the idea of liberality, liberality and generosity. Because that, listen, if we're going to be hospitable to people, and now mind you, mind you, this is a, this is a command in Scripture for God's people, okay? So it is the, the kind of uh, rigid privacy that some people have is not biblical. Just throw that out there. The kind of rigid privacy that excludes everybody outside of the small circle that we have is not a biblical concept because the Lord says to be hospitable. And part of that means opening yourself up. Okay, that's part of opening yourself up. And so we see things in society and we see trends and we see uh, uh, habits and such that people kind of get into and, and they, you know, some people are very, very private. I'm, I'm kind of like that. I don't, I'm not one who is outgoing, particularly outgoing. I don't know if you, th- you would think that about me or not, but if you ask my wife, I'm the person who wants to walk into to, to the coffee shop, order my coffee, take it, and I don't want you to say anything to me. And I don't want to say anything to you. That's just, that's just the way I, that's my natural tendency. Of course. But again, we have to recognize that our natural tendencies aren't always right. <laughs> Sometimes they're wrong, right? And so, and so we look at hospitality. First thing is liberality and generosity. When you open your, your life up to someone else, when you open up your life to welcome a guest, a visitor, a stranger, when you open your life up to entertain them, and we're not talking about, you know, putting on a clown show. Entertain means obviously, to, to take care of them, their needs. When you do that, there is a certain level of a certain amount of expense, both in money and in time, that is invested in that kind of thing. And that is what the Lord wants us to do. That is what the Lord wants us to do. He wants us to have that liberality and generosity. In other words, you can't be hospitable. Imagine you go to someone's house and they invite you in, and, and they say, why don't you come sit here, just here? This is our guest chair. You can't sit anywhere else. Would you like something to drink? I'm only going to give you water. You know, there's a certain level. It, it, uh, if you have that level of rigidity when you're trying to entertain a guest, well, that's hardly liberal. It's hardly gener- generous. It would be very rigid and strict, and the person would not feel welcome, would not feel welcome. So there's a certain level of expense that's needed to, in order to, to, uh, to be hospitable. And I think it speaks, the idea of hospitality speaks to another idea that is connected, and it is the idea of liberality. 
the idea of generosity. And this is it's a biblical concept. You know, and, and when we talk about liberality, we think about generosity and how, we, how, we, how generous we are, how free we are with, with, being, uh, with being hospitable and, and giving things to people that are, that, who are our guests. And you know what? That tells us a lot about how we perceive money, what we think of our money. You know, if we think of our money as our money and we're tight-fisted and we, we view it and value it like that rather than as a gift of God, something that God has given to us to give through us, you see? And He does. God gives us sometimes, and it is also a scriptural principle, that God sometimes gives things to us, not for our use, but for another's use. But see, in order to be used in that manner, we have to recognize that what we have is not ours to control and dominate. And what that'll help us do is it'll help us open our hands and be generous. God gives us, sometimes gives us wealth in order to pass on to others and pass on, to pass on to others. Let's look at a few verses that deal with this. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 11, if you would. Proverbs 11. Of course, we're going to Proverbs. We're going to have principles here that are interesting and helpful, usually in practice. Chapter 11, verse 24 says this, Proverbs eleven twenty four. He that scattereth, there is, I'm sorry, there is that scattereth and yet increaseth. And there is that withholdeth more than is meat, but it tendeth to poverty. The liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that watereth shall be watered also himself. You see that? The principle is, he that scattereth. That's speaking of generosity. That's speaking of, being, of not being tight-fisted. The tight-fisted person is the one that withholdeth more than his meat. We all know that we have needs. We all know that we have bills to pay. The Lord is not saying that you should, that, that you should impoverish yourself or you should, uh, you should go into debt because you can't pay your own bills so that you can be generous to another person. If, if, if someone tends to do that, I would question, to be honest, I would question the motives of that person because they're not looking after their own business. But see, this says they withhold more than is meat, more than is, is suitable and proper. In other words, they're being miserly. But the, Lord, the principle here is to scatter. What is our tendency? When we, you talk about hospitality, when we, in, when we entertain guests, when we invite people over, when we have people into our home, when we conduct ourselves with others, with strangers, with guests, do we tend to do it in abundance or do we tend to do as little as possible? Do we tend to go the extra mile or do we tend to cut, cut it short? You know, we don't want to spend that. Well, that's, you know, that's just too much. I'll be honest with you, in our family, my wife is very generous. She is very, to the point I'm like, okay, uh, uh, okay, that's enough. No, we're, really, we've had these conversations. <laughs> and she just, she just wants to give and she wants to go overboard. And when we had, when we had um, different meetings and, uh, and special events at our church in Cambodia, that was, that was the way it was. To the point I was like, I was like, 
we have to let the people learn to bring stuff too, you know, because she would just, she would, she would do it abundantly. And that's actually, that's a, the, generosity is a principle that a Christian should embrace. We should be generous people. Let's look at Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Of course, this is a verse we've all heard before, I'm sure, but it won't hurt to read it. Luke 6 and verse number number 38. Of course, this verse is often abused by prosperity preachers and such. It says, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, and shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet, with all it shall be measured to you again. So here's the thing. So you have this, you have this basket, maybe of grain, right? You have this basket of grain. They could take the grain and they could dump it in, they could take the, the grain from their storage and they could dump it into your basket. And they could do so, they could just dump it and say, have a nice day. It's to the, it's top and it's, they pour it in level with the top. Maybe they take a, maybe they take a, a board and they scrape the top off so that it's perfectly level. And you walk away and you say, I got what I paid for, right? Well, actually, they would probably weigh it maybe. But anyway, you say, I got what I paid for. But that's not necessarily generosity. You see, it says, press down, shaken together, and running over. So you're getting more. They're going the extra mile. All right? Would you do you, do you want to deal with someone who deals with you in that way or the one who scrapes the top off? So I heard somebody say scrape the top off. You want to deal with somebody who deals with you generously and liberally. Well, the Lord says, "Do you do that? Are you generous in that way?" When someone comes to your house, do you warmly treat them as a guest and shower them with affection in that way? Hey, it's a Christian virtue. It's a Christian virtue. Look at Deuteronomy 15, if you would. Deuteronomy chapter 15. Verse number 12. Deuteronomy 15, verse 12 says this, And if thy brother, an Hebrew man or an Hebrew woman, be sold unto thee and serve thee six years, then in the seventh year thou shalt let him go free from thee. And when thou sendest, sendest him out free from thee, thou shalt not let him go away empty. Thou shalt furnish him liberally out of thy flock and out of thy floor and out of thy winepress, of, of that wherewith the Lord thy God hath blessed thee. Thou shalt give unto him. And thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in the land of Egypt, and that the Lord thy God redeemed thee. Therefore have I commanded thee this thing. You know, what's interesting? The Lord uses Egypt to remind them as the basis for them being liberal to those they, they, do, do, good, uh, they do good to. Well, that's what the Lord uses for us to teach us to be generous. 
if we view the way the Lord has treated us as tight, strict, you know, greedy, then we will tend to do that. Now, the reality is he has not done that. The Lord has blessed us abundantly, pushed down, shaken together, running over. That's how the Lord has blessed us. That's how, and I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about the blessings that God gives to us. He gives to us in abundant measure, not strictly according to the measure. (laughs) He, He gives it to us heaping. And so that is the basis for us to be the same way to them. Now, there are people... Of course, there are people that abuse this. We should be the one who is generous and liberal in our hospitality. But let us never be the one who takes advantage of others' generosity and liberality and seizes upon it. Let us not be the one like we saw on the mission field, oh my goodness, who would rather spend another's money than their own, right? If they had a chance, it was just a way to, to you know, to scrape, scrape a dime out of somebody. We should be the person that is generous, but not, uh, but not one who takes advantage of that. You know, and that touches on another point, which is important. Sometimes when, when people want to be hospitable to us and want to honor us with those kinds of things, let them. Let them. I know sometimes it's hard when we have... Uh, when we have a, uh, an, an ethic where we don't want to take advantage of people, we don't want to, you know, uh, uh, presume upon someone's goodness or something like that, we, we hesitate and we say, oh, no, 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 no. But there comes a point at which we just need to let them do what they're going to do because they're trying to be a blessing. So the first thing, as I said, the first thing that, that the hospitality touches on is liberality and generosity. The second thing it touches on is genuineness and authenticity. See, when you are, when you are, uh, when you invite someone into your home, right, what you're doing is you're inviting them into your inner circle. You're taking someone who does not know you to that degree, and you are inviting them into the most intimate space, safe space, right, that you have. You're inviting someone who doesn't belong into, you, into your group. And, you know, when you do that, you're showing them a side of you that people don't generally see. You're showing them the private you, not the public you. And so it requires to be hospitable. It requires a certain level of transparency, right? A certain level of genuineness. Because you're inviting them not, to, you're inviting them beyond your just your public self into your private self, for good or for bad, for good or for bad, and this and this brings up an important point that deals with hospitality. You know, all of us, all of us have to some degree have a public kind of presentation, and then we have the way we really are, <laughs> right? And of course, there's, there's limits to, to what I'm saying, and I trust you guys understand, you guys know, you know, nobody wants to be seen when they just wake up and they got, you know, drool, dry drool in their face and, you know, that kind of, and their hair's all crazy. I know I'm the only one that's like that, 
You guys aren't like that. But nobody wants to be sent. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about some people have a presentation, and we should not be this way, have a presentation for, for other people to consume. And it's very, it's very, very just, just so. They, they want to control how other people perceive them. But when you do that, you exclude hospitality. You can't be hospitable like that. You've got to be real. Because you're letting people into your personal, your intimate zone. You're letting, it, letting them come into your house so that they see what's on your walls. They see what's on your television. They see what is important to you. you know? In other words, you, 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 we put on a face and we come to church and we're around church people and we do everything. You know, we dress right. Everything's just so, just so. We present ourselves. But then we go home and you open the refrigerator door and you see bottles of liquor. Well, that's a problem. That's a problem. But see, the problem is when you, have, when you and I have two faces like that, and God forbid that we would have a face for one group of people and another face for another group of people and another face for another... We should just have one face. Amen? We should just have one face. The way we are is the way we are. And when you go to our house, it ought to be the same way that we are everywhere else. Priscilla came over to our house this afternoon to, uh, to share a meal with us. Uh, of course, we had a, a guest over as well. And, you know, I wasn't wearing a suit when I was at home. I didn't even wear my shoes. So, you know. But see, we all know that we're like that. You know, we have, our, we have our, our, our lazy chair and we have the things we like to do, you know, and that kind of thing. But you know what? That's, it's important that we're, that we're real like that. And we should never live in such a way that we hide things in our private life because that's hypocrisy. Our private life is so private and secret that we don't want anybody else to know it. And so we don't let them in. Well, if you don't let them in, you can't be hospitable. So it requires genuineness and authenticity. I, I know people in my family that will say, well, I just think religion is a private matter. Well, that's not what God says. Rather the opposite, right? Our faith is something that's supposed to be open. And in fact, that's one of the most important things about being hospitable is that when you open other people, when your faith is genuine and your life is genuine, now that doesn't mean you're, you're without flaws or faults. No, you and I both have those. But when your faith is genuine and sincere and the presentation, the public presentation and the private life are essentially the same, you can bring someone into your, into your, into your intimate circle, if you will, and they can see a real Christian. That's so important. When we were in Cambodia, um, there's, there's a, a fellow that, that uh, I discipled, and he was saved in our ministry, and he, he's, he's, getting he's gonna be getting married next year. And one thing he's told me over the years is that he paid attention to our family because he would come into our house you know, to the point of annoyance, to be honest. <laughs> but he would come into our house 
And he would see the way, you know, he would see my wife sweating her ears off, you know, mopping the floor. And he would see the way my kids run around and all their hair all crazy, all sweaty. And, uh, you know, he would see all of those, our real life without the presentation. And that had an effect on him and the way he viewed the family as a new Christian. You know, and that's, listen, that's a powerful thing. Because when you're a real Christian and you're a sincere Christian and there's no dissimulation, that word means hypocrisy, pretense. When you are real at home, like you're real out in our church or in public, when you're real that way, you can invite people in and that's such a benefit to them. Because they get to see the way you are and they get to see an example, especially an unbeliever. They get to see an example of someone. They don't just see the facade. They see the real you and how the gospel has affected your life privately. And that, listen, that's where the power is. The power of the gospel is not in the way it makes us change the way we dress and when we come to church and that kind of... No, the power of the gospel is the way it affects us all the time. And people need to see that. And so the Lord says, okay. (laughs) He says, okay, Adam. I want you to bless these people by being generous and liberal with them, by showing them hospitality. But there's a a boomerang effect with that command. It'll help you too. Because if you're hospitable, then you know that your private life is going to be seen. And that gives you a good motivation, one of the many motivations to be, look, I need to be real. I need to be true. I need to be authentic and genuine and sincere. I know authentic is a catchphrase. It's a trendy word these days. He's got to be authentic. And people use it to to say you ought to let all your dirty laundry hang out. That's what they mean when they say it. But scripturally speaking, it talks about, the Bible talks about unfeigned faith, faith that is true, genuine, that affects the life. Right? And so when we know that people are coming over, when we know we're going to be with guests, it, it just, it's just another reminder. All right. I, I, I got to be what I, what I appear to be, I need to be. Right? And so that's what being hospitable does. Look at John. This is a fantastic story here. John chapter 1. I didn't notice this until today. John chapter 1 and verse 35. Of course, this is at the beginning of the Lord's ministry. In the the days of John the Baptist, look at what it says. John chapter 1 verse 35. Again, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples. So, all right, follow the context. Otherwise, we'll miss it. You have John the Baptist and you have two of John the Baptist's disciples, because there were people that followed John the Baptist too. So you got John and his two disciples. Verse 36, And looking upon Jesus as he walked, he says, John says, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. So now these two disciples are no longer disciples of John, they're disciples of Jesus. Verse 38, Then Jesus turned and saw them following, and saith unto them, What seek ye? They said said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted master, where dwellest thou? Here's what they wanted to know. Where do you live? I thought that's an interesting question. 
in one short, in one just three words, they invaded his private life. <laughs> right? They invited themselves over to his house. They didn't want to know his address. That's not what they're asking. <laughs> Which is interesting. Because the Lord, we, we think of Christ, often we think of, in, think of him in terms of his deity, and he was, he is 100% God. But he's also 100% man, fully man. And that means, that means he was a man to these people. So they say, where dwellest thou? He saith unto them, and here's the hospitality, come and see. Was he afraid to open that private life to them, to see where he lived, where he slept, where he ate? How he lived? Oh, no. See, that was one of the most powerful uh, influences that Christ had upon those that followed him. And those that followed him the closest and saw him the most intimately were the ones that were the most affected. Because there was no private public life distinction. The Lord had them with him. That was powerful, and that affected them. Because they saw him at all times. So he says, come and see. Look what this says. They came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day. For it was about the 10th hour. 10th hour is about what time? Four o'clock in the afternoon, right? So we assume they spent the night. It's almost evening, right? So they abode with him that day. That means they saw how Jesus ate. They saw where he slept. They saw when he got up, what he did. They saw how he talked in private. They saw how he lived in private. You know what? The Lord was hospitable. He opened his house. He invited them in. There was no strict privacy. All right? Now keep reading. Verse 40. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew. So you got those two that are now following Jesus, that went to his house. Now you have, one of them was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. So, it's just to point out, the Lord opened his inner life to them, like we do when we're hospitable with people. And as it turns out, one of the people there was Peter's brother who himself was a disciple, but then Peter became one, one of, if not the primary uh, disciple among the twelve. And it all came from what? It all came from hospitality. All right? Look at 1 Timothy, if you would, chapter 3, before we move into the, the third and final one. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Verse number two. Again, this is a, a requirement of the bishop. And it says, just like we read in Titus, chapter three, verse number two, a bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. Now, what's interesting is, as I mentioned before, with a bishop, a bit, this requirement tells us that a bishop is to have a life that is open to people outside of his family. 
if he's hospitable, given to hospitality. That's a strong word. So his life is to be open. In fact, I mean, what does a bishop do? A bishop is, another word for that, is a shepherd. And what does a shepherd do? He leads by example. Not just with his words. That's not an example. A, a shepherd leads by his life, right? And I'm sure, I, and I know it's true with Pastor Stewart. You can go up to Pastor Stewart's house anytime. You know, of course, you ought to call his wife out of a matter of courtesy, right? <laughs> but you could go over there and his, his life is an open book. And I thank God for that, you know? And the way he is here is the way he is there. There's no, there's no two sides to it. And that's how a shepherd is going to provide this example to his flock. The last thing I want to show you is entertaining strangers. Look at Hebrews chapter number 13. Hebrews 13, verse number 1. In the definition I gave of hospitality, it says, the reception and entertainment of guests, visitors, or strangers with liberality and goodwill. So we've looked at liberality, the biblical principle there. We've looked at uh, the idea of, of, of being open, sincere, and honest, true, authentic, uh, which allows us to, allow, to, to uh, invite people into that inner circle, our private life. But then the third one, is the, fa the fact of entertaining strangers. The Bible says in verse 1, Let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertain entertained angels unawares. And of course, who is the primary example? There's actually two of that. Does anybody want to take a stab at that? Who are, who are the, the examples of entertaining angels unawares? Abraham, and there's one more. Manoah? Well, you always pick a different one. That, all right, I was thinking Lot, but I'll give you Manoah. Okay, fine. You get points from Manoah. So I think of Abraham and Lot primarily, but we look at this, and, and, uh, and of course, it says that they did not know that they were entertaining angels, but it brings up an interesting point about the stranger. A stranger is interesting. Here's what a stranger means. A stranger doesn't, it normally means like a foreigner. Like a stranger to the United States would be a, 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 an alien, a foreigner. But a stranger can have other meanings, like someone who is outside your family. Anyone who is outside of a group is a stranger. It just depends on how you define the group. Well, so in this, when we talk about entertaining strangers, that goes back to our second point, which is when you, you, you know, when we, a lot of times in our family and our kind of comfort zone, we have a group of people that we feel comfortable around them. We, can fit, we feel like we can be ourselves, right? All of us have that. But see, the Lord wants ourselves to be such, to be true and sincere and real, such that we can have people that aren't in that group, who are strangers to that group, to come into that group. Listen, all of us at some point or another are a stranger. When you first came to our church, you were a stranger to our church, right? When I first met my wife at the, the library at Tabernacle Christian School, we were strangers to one another. We all start that way. We all start that way. But hospitality is the door that opens, is, is the, the door that opens a relationship. We start as strangers. Hospitality allows us to not be strangers, but to be to be 
partners or to be brothers and sisters or whatever the case might be. But it's interesting that the, the term hospitality in the Scripture emphasizes strangers. Strangers. Now, Israel was told to treat strangers well. And so, uh, it's important for us to understand that uh, at the very core of being hospitable is you're taking people that are not in the group and adding them to the group. And that's all part of hospitality. When you invite your family, like Miss Karen, when you have your, your daughters over to your house or you go over to their house, that's not really hospitality because that, there's no, I mean, in a way it is because, you know, they're, you're, maybe you're a guest in their home, but you're a very familiar guest. You're used to seeing them in their natural state, in their natural element. But really, hospitality at its essence is really dealing with people outside of that. And that's where the Lord says, I want you to do that. And so when, you, when we combine these three things, what do we find? We find the Lord wants us to be a very open people. Not private, not strictly controlling how people view us, but a very sincere people who have no fronts, no facades, nothing to hide in private, no facade to maintain in public. He wants us to be very open people so that others can come in and see what the gospel has done to us. That's hospitality. Not to mention the generosity and liberality and the benefit to those that we help and that we entertain and welcome. And you know what? As far as strangers are concerned, you never know who you might entertain and how it might affect them. Let me give you an example. This is a lengthy quote, but I'll read this and we'll be done. This is from the autobiography of Charles Spurgeon. He tells a story when he was about, uh, about 10 years old. Listen to this. The story of Mr. Uh, it says kill, but it should say nil, K-N-I-L-L. The story of Mr. Nil's prophesying that I should preach the gospel in Rollins, uh, Rollins Hills Chapel and to the largest congregations in the world has been targeted, has been regarded, I'm sorry, by many as a legend, but it was strictly true. This is, a, this is a fascinating story. This is what Charles Spurgeon said. Mr. Neal took uh, the country of Essex in the year 1844 and traversed the region from town to town as a deputation for the London Missionary Society. What that means is he was, this man, Mr. Neal, was a representative. We would call him a board representative. <laughs> but he would travel from town to town. In the course of that journey, he spent a little time at the Stranbourne Parsonage in... Uh, in his heart burned the true missionary spirit, for he sought the souls of young and old whenever they came in his way. He was a great soul winner, and he, and he soon spied out the boy. He's talking about himself. He said to me, where, did you, where do you sleep? For I want to call on you in the morning. Call you up in the morning. I showed him my little room, and he took note of it. At six o'clock, he called me up. There stood in my grandfather's garden two arbors made of yew trees cut in sugarloaf fashion. Though the old mats had given way to a new one, the old chapel is gone, uh, and the old chapel is gone also. Yet the yew trees flourish as aforetime. We went uh, into the right-hand arbor, and there, in the sweetest way, he told me of the love of Jesus, and of the blessedness of trusting in Him and loving Him in our childhood. With many a story, he preached Christ to me and told me how good God had been been to him, 
And then he prayed that he might that and then and then he prayed that I might know the Lord and serve him. He knelt down in that arbor and prayed for me with his arms about my neck. He did not seem content unless I kept with him uh, in the interval between the services. He heard my childish talk with patient love and repaid it with gracious instruction. On three, consecutive, uh, on three successive days, he taught me and prayed with me. And before he had to leave, my grandfather came back from the place where he had gone to preach, and all the family were gathered to morning prayer. Then, in the presence of them all, Mr. Neal took me on his knee and said, This child will one day preach the gospel, and he will preach it to the, the great multitudes. I am persuaded that he will preach in the chapel of Rowland Hill, where, I think he said, I am now the minister. He spoke very solemnly and called upon all present to witness what he said. Then he gave me sixpence as a reward uh, if I would learn the hymn, God Moves in, in a Mysterious Way His Wonders to Perform. I was made to promise that when I preached in the Rollins Hill Chapel, that that hymn should be sung. Think of that as a promise from a child. Would it ever be other than an idle dream? Years flew by after I began, after I, after I had begun for some, some little time to preach in London, Dr. Alexander Fletcher was engaged to deliver the annual sermon to, to uh, children in Surrey Chapel. But as he was taken ill, I was asked in a hurry to preach to the children in his stead. Yes, I replied, I will, if you will allow the children to sing, God moves in a mysterious way. I have made a promise long ago that so that hymn should, that so that hymn should be sung. And so it was... I preached in Rollins Hill Chapel, and the hymn was sung. My emotions on that occasion I cannot describe, for the, for the word of the Lord's servant was fulfilled. Still, I fancy that Surrey was not the chapel which Mr. Neal intended. However, uh, how, how I was to go to, the country, uh, go to the country chapel, all unsought to me, the minister at Watnet, Watton Under Edge, these English names, wow, which was Mr. Hill's summer residence, invited me to preach there. I went on the condition that the congregation to sing God moves in a mysterious way, which was also done. To me, it was a very wonderful thing. And I no more understand, uh, understood at that time how it came to pass than I understand today, why the Lord should be so gracious to me. Mr. Nill might very naturally have left the minister's little grandson on the, pl on the plea that he had other duties of more importance than praying with children. And yet, who shall say that he did not affect as much by that act of humble ministry as by dozens of sermons addressed to crowded audiences. At any rate, to me, his tenderness in considering the little one was fraught with everlasting consequences, and I must ever feel that his time was well laid out. May we do good everywhere as we have opportunity and results will not be wanting. So here you have the man who is considered to be in the modern era one of the greatest preachers giving a testimony when he was 10, what? His family, his grandfather was hospitable to a man. And that man ministered to that 10-year-old Charles Spurgeon. And that was all facilitated by hospitality. Someone having a life such that they opened their life up to a stranger to come, come in, come in and fellowship with us and Charles Spurgeon's life was affected. I thought it was a good story of how hospitality can affect a person. You never know. You never know who you might entertain. You never know who your guest might be. Let's pray.